You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a podcast supported by listeners like you. To contribute, visit patreon.com slash I Have Some Notes. Hey, Liam, I have a pitch. What if we combine the camp and kineticism from Power Rangers with the badassery of speed bikes? Sounds promising. What cool animal power does the hero have? Wolf? Shark? Komodo dragon? Grasshopper. I have some notes. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast with cuts, keeps, punch-ups, and tweaks on mediocre movies. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. And I am Greg Beaver. And today we are discussing Shin Kamen Rider from 2023, a Japanese superhero action movie, uh, giving it the full I Have Some Notes treatment. It's not struck work so we can discuss it because it was made in another country that's not America. <laughs> Indeed. Now, I'm sure I say this like every other episode, but I'm under the weather again, and so I apologize <laughs> up front for my voice being wrecked. I have two small children in the house. Uh, it's been a stressful couple weeks because we've been in the middle of a move, and uh, suffice to say, I've caught whatever is whatever crud is in the air, and so this is my voice for this episode. Deal with it. Uh, I thought it was because you were so excited you were watching this film, you just had to jump up and make Japanese shouting sounds oh, no, as I... you transformed. You just scream, <laughs> screamed yourself hoarse as you transformed. Uh, yes, like... that, that as well. I mean, that didn't help. I was sick and also <laughs> screaming uh, like joyful expletives at my television. Rider kick! <laughs> yeah, Perfect. Uh, speaking of writer's kicks, uh, we get a kick out of you following us on social media. So uh, right off the top, we do want to remind you uh, that you can follow us uh, at I Have Some Notes Pod on Instagram. I Have Some Notes uh, on Facebook. Uh, X as well. That's our classic one. I feel weird about it, but we're still there. We're <laughs> for now. We're riding this one out for now. Um, if you've made the switch over notes. to Blue Sky, yeah. Oh, are we on Blue Sky too? We're we got a link sky. tree. We're That's why they threads. made link tree, so I don't have to do this. Um, but honestly, the most important thing uh, we could do uh, would be just tell a friend right to their face about what we're doing here, because uh, it's word of mouth is just uh, a great way to to spread the word, let people know. So if you've got a film nerd in your life who think you think we get a kick out of this, just uh, send them a link about it. Why not? Yeah, we'd super appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, Shin Common Rider. I'm glad I suggested this one. I'm even more glad you guys took me up on it. Because uh, <laughs> this, this, I mean, it checks all the boxes. We wanted to kick off our season with a superhero action movie from recent times. This is, was a 2023 release. This is this year this thing got made. And it's technically the same thing as a Marvel movie. <laughs> uh, I'd be lying if I wasn't 20 minutes in cursing Liam's name. <laughs> But then, yeah, it got, it got, it got better. <laughs> like, I, look, look, I completely recognize that, like, something like Shin Kamen Rider was not made for me. Like, I'm not the target audience. 
I'm not steeped in the culture that made like tokusatsu a beloved genre. And I also recognize that the film is making assumptions about your familiarity with the characters and story and that fans of Kamen Rider might appreciate those shortcuts. I get like, it's not really any different than like the Tom Holland Spider-Man's just, you know, hand waving Uncle Ben, just assuming that you, everybody knows who Uncle Ben is, right? But regrettably, I can't, like, I can't, I can can only evaluate the film that was presented in front of me. And and, like, what I was presented with was a 90 minute speed run of a television series. (laughs) Yeah, we were, we were kind of discussing this a little bit uh, in the chat and then a little bit before we recorded. This movie feels like a season and a half to two seasons of television condensed into two hours. And it is breakneck speed because of yeah. that. Like he he fights his way through like an entire squad of mini bosses in this yeah, in this two hour movie. Uh in this shockingly violent two hour movie. Like for something that has the aesthetics of a Power Rangers episode, there are gallons of blood in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I was getting I don't know if either of you've seen um Guyver but I was kind of getting Guyver vibes and that like Guyver is like an, an ultra violent anime yeah. um, that, um, you know, that he, he actually has kind of like a similar mask, big sort of like bug eyes. He's got a single uh, antenna thing coming out. Um, I think it's a blade, not really an antenna, but, um, but yeah, it's, it, he just, he just pulverizes his enemies into pulp. And that's this particularly in the opening <laughs> scene of this movie. That's where I was thinking. Yeah. It kind of comes and goes like there's a lot of violence early on and then it gets silly and then it gets super bloody and violent again. I, I did actually eventually settle in to the movie, which is funny because I, I watched this movie in so many different shifts. Like I, <laughs> I must've oh, stopped it three times. I, like not, for any particular reason other than just like I had I had other things to do and I was just like trying to get uh, the movie watched to when I had a chance. Um, but I also like at one point I was falling asleep and I was like, oh, that's no good. I, I <laughs> So I had to like stop it and like wait for myself to be a little bit more conscious to watch it again. So but I, I feel like there's a there's a certain plot point, I guess, that will hit later where it something happens and it just it actually creates like a proper like proper stakes and whereas before it just it's just like running to the location having a fight or run to that location and having a fight yeah it's uh definitely deliberately aping that old tv show i think that's the thing i liked the most about it was the way it was clearly this labor of love and you're, you're correct in saying like like you could only evaluate the movie that was presented to you. I was so like taken by this movie's bizarre charm, but also kind of like off putting this. Like I, I didn't watch it in shifts, but I did pause halfway to like go get a snack and like take, catch a breath and come back. Um, that I'm like, I needed context and I've kind of been on a common writer lore binge for the last week. Cause I like (laughs) couldn't just watch this and be like, okay, sure. I'm like, I need some context, please. Um, and uh, it definitely made me appreciate the movie a lot more, not just knowing the cultural significance of Common Rider, um, Masked Rider, yeah, uh, specifically, but also the impetus to make this film in 2023 in particular. 
Uh, and that's just one thing I want to highlight before we maybe get into some of the actually let's do the the the, the details, the plot summary, what have you, and then we'll we'll get into those. Um, why does this film exist? Uh, discussions, but <laughs> into the fun facts. Yeah, fun facts. So start with the the details. Shin Kamen Rider, uh, directed by uh, Hideki. Can, Scott, can you say it? I'm sorry. Hideaki Anno. <laughs> Hideaki Anno, um, written by Hideaki Anno and Shotaro Ishinomori. And I, I sorry, practiced really hard on some of the cast, but I'm going to tell you folks, I'm just going to spare us all. The cast is all a bunch of very talented, uh, attractive Japanese actors. <laughs> They're in this movie. You 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 don't know their names. I could say any Japanese names. You'd have to believe me. So instead of you guys listening to me butcher these, uh, Google it. Um, or watch the movie yourself. It is on Amazon Prime. So um, four great actors are listed in our notes, and they have names that I can't pronounce. Um, but they're in it, those guys. Scott? Takeshi Hongo is kidnapped by a sinister organization known as Shocker and transformed into a synthetic grasshopper-human hybrid. Before he can be brainwashed to do their evil bidding, Takeshi is freed by Ruriko Midorikawa. Her father, Dr. Midorikawa, created the Grasshopper Augment to fight and defeat the Shocker organization. But when Spider Og, a Shocker agent, kills him, Ruriko is stuck with a Grasshopper Dingus who's dubbed himself Common Rider to complete the mission. Are we going too fast? Hold on to your butts. What follows is essentially a Street Fighter tournament in which Takeshi and Ruriko travel from place to place, fighting multiple opponents in succession. Once the opponent eats a super kick, they're off to the next location for the next round. We discover the big bad is actually Ruriko's brother, who is a very scary butterfly, and he has his own grasshopper Og ready to fight Takeshi. The two common riders fight, and Ruriko dies in the process, but not before installing a cheat code to defeat the butterfly in Takeshi's helmet. Now the riders must unite to save the world, because the butterfly is going to destroy it. Did we miss that part? Sorry, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> yeah, we skipped over like a fight with a wasp lady who's trying to enslave the world, and uh, like three different assassins who come after them like there's the the government agents who have uh enlisted them to help take down this organization the the robot guy who's just around like it's (laughs) there's there's stuff going on in this movie this second act of this movie is structured like the second act of scott pilgrim versus the world where he's just like rapidly banging out bad guys (laughs) kind of yeah it it when i said that it felt like several seasons of television it's because like the the climax with Waspog feels like it could be the end of an entire arc of like a television series. And then the climax with Butterfly Og feels like it could be the climax of an entire arc of a television series. And it's just like Wasp was halfway through the movie, you guys. <laughs> like <laughs> holy which crap. Is, which is wild because it's actually 
each one of these villains is a homage to villains that appeared in the first 13 episodes of the show. Yeah. So they're all, they're not, they're not season villains. They're monster of the week villains. Yeah. Because I think why there's that rapid fire succession through them. Because the, uh, the the original common writer show is very much in the vein of a power Rangers. You, you mentioned it Mm -hmm. off the top in which it is like very like broad, action uh campy action sentai sort of stuff uh and it's very monster of the week it's there's an evil organization they have a new monster this week they're going to send it after common rider to try to kill him common rider beats him up that's yeah that's the formula um but it it's weird when it's condensed into <laughs> a two-hour film and you have so much going on and the way that they developed especially wasp and butterfly they could have been their own movies, you guys. Like <laughs> yeah. I'm maybe tiptoeing into some of my changes, but like that yeah. there are there are meaty plots there that get just like raced through. <laughs> just just so we don't get emails, it's it's probably more accurate to say that um that Power Rangers is a is yeah. a yeah, a, an offshoot of Common Rider. Yes, yeah. No, but yeah, I, so that- I I meant to, I meant to imply that they're kind of they're they're in the same family tree. Oh yeah, not, I, I, I knew I knew what you meant. I just don't yeah. want to get the emails. So no, word fair for it again, <laughs> Greg. Pardon? What was the word for that genre again? Uh, hang on, I like just have to. It's Super Sentai stuff, isn't it? <coughs> Super Toka- Sentai Power Rangers. Tokusatsu. Tokusatsu. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. Is the is the genre? And this, I didn't realize how much this this one had kicked things off, and that's that's some of the context I got. So fun fun fact that I discovered. Uh, Famously, so this this movie was very much about those first thirteen episodes, mm-hmm. uh, and kind of homaging those. In those first thirteen episodes, they had a guy. He was the guy. He gets into a motorcycle accident early on, but they had already cooked in this other grasshopper guy, and it was just a natural fit have this dude take over. Um, so that's why there's two common riders even in this one. Um, but the second guy they had didn't have a motorcycle license, so his transformation. Was on the the first guy transformed into common rider while riding the bike. They couldn't do that because the guy didn't have a motorcycle license. So that is literally where we get the transformation poses. And like in our Discord chat, I'm dabbing and doing like Sailor Moon poses. Yeah, it starts at common rider for the most part. We have like Sailor Moon magical girl spinning around because that guy didn't have a motorcycle license. Nice in 1971. One um, guy, a, an actor, <laughs> didn't get a motorcycle license, and an entire genre. Yeah, an entire cliche, like a a, a cliche, um, or trope, or what what have you. What's funny about that is like that that one uh, accident probably saved a bunch of Japanese animation studios tons of money because they (laughs) could just reuse (laughs) those animations and and take up several minutes of their TV show every Um, week. uh, And then, yeah, one of the one of the other things I sort of learned reading about is just like how deep this goes in terms of like people's love for it especially people of a certain age but also people of any age because it's been rebooted a million times um this is this shin godzilla is part of a big push like there's or sorry shin common writer part of a big push to to sort of reinvent the took god damn it the genre tokusatsu. the tokusatsu genre um so the shin godzilla from 2016 highly recommend shin ultraman which i'm trying to get my hands on and want to watch it and then this one Made by uh, like the the director Anno, the Neon Genesis Evangelion guy. So like he's got cultural cred. Like this is a this is a big deal. 
Uh, and the thing I was, I was trying to think of something to liken it to that wasn't necessarily a Marvel or a DC thing. And the whole history of Common Rider has big Doctor Who vibes to me. Not necessarily in the subject matter, but in the terms of like, you can't find an artist from the UK, like a t- guy, person who works in TV or film from the UK, who doesn't have like some affinity for Doctor Who. It's the same thing with with Mask Rider, with Common Rider. I buy it's that. It's just like everyone's yeah. got their like their 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 touchstone reference, um, but it never really got outside of Japan, kind of the same way Doctor Who's like way bigger in in the UK. So yeah, it, it definitely didn't get out of Japan the way some of its uh, descendants did, like Power Rangers, yeah. which would be the one that everybody, I would say, in North America would be probably most familiar with. Um, and then, yeah, so this, this film was, uh, a lot of the, was an homage to those first 13 episodes and some of the sort of weird style that went into making it. Cause it was a super low budget show. They did a lot of like, found a lot of creativity and weird angles and shit. Uh, I saw this thing where they were talking about the, the old TV show, they would do reverse footage. So to get it, make it look like a guy was jumping into a tree, you'd just be let go of a tree and play it backwards. Yeah. Where they had guys backwards somersault down a hill, played it backwards, so then it looked like they were forward somersaulting up a hill, and it looks creepy as hell. So there's so much of that in this movie that I really appreciate, like these like deliberate like angles they wouldn't have to use in 2023, but they do anyway. Yeah, um, yeah, particularly the, the the Power Ranger flip that every I think we're all familiar with, like the, yeah, the camera the the camera looking up into the sky and just like whip 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 whip. Reminded me of a conversation I had with my brother recently talking about the new Ninja Turtles movie and how, like, it's a fully CG movie, the the new Ninja Turtles flick, but it's deliberately made to look old, or not old, but hand-drawn, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, my brother just whips this out. Uh, kudos to Andrew for just having this quote in his back pocket. But it's from Brian Eno, a, a music producer, um, that I was like really apt when we were talking about turtles and kind of applies here, at least to the, the approach that they took in making this film quote goes, uh, whatever you now find weird, ugly, uncomfortable, and nasty about a new medium will surely become its signature CD distortion, the jitteriness of digital video, the scrap sound of eight, the crap sound of eight bit. All of these will be cherished and emulated as soon as they can be avoided. Um, which I thought was, I think he goes well, on it's to more, like, but that's the, the it's like J.J. It. Abrams adding lens flare to all of his movies. Yeah. <laughs> so, like modern so cameras the- don't do that. They're designed to not provide lens flare. You have to digitally add that in. Yeah. yeah. So, so this whole movie is an homage to cheap seventies Japanese television in a way that's very endearing. So yeah. that's, it's that's a thousand end of the history endearing. lesson, but that's, yeah. I've been yeah. excited then, to no, share re- this it, all week. I was, it reminds I, me that, it reminds me of all the pixel art games too, right? Like theoretically, the, that level of art should have been abandoned, but nope. Yeah, uh, this movie is is definitely a thousand percent endearing, though. Uh, it kind of confused me for the first like ten minutes of the movie because it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it it starts with a cold <laughs> open and you know absolutely nothing what's going on, and then it very quickly the style, the look, it all kind of like. If you're familiar with that kind of that kind of genre uh, and those genre tropes, it becomes very comfortable, and you just kind of like sink into your chair, and a smile crosses your face, and you're just like, "I'm here for this. I'm here for this." Yeah, I like that is that is where I was the most frustrated, and and like because it it like that it's particularly the the first uh, five to ten minutes. 
is an absolute masterclass in tell don't show. It's just like you're just getting exposition <laughs> barfed at you. <laughs> and, and you're like, what's happening? And even just like the way that all the characters are introduced are like is fairly confusing. Like I'm sure like if you know who Common Rider is and stuff like that, like you're just like immediately like in touch with who are the major players. But like, yeah, there's 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 no help for someone not familiar uh, with the uh, with the property. Yeah, for sure. It it's it. Liam was right when he said it kind of makes some assumptions about your base level of understanding about Common Rider. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't have that, it's certainly the first like little bit of the movie is very confusing. The fir- the first half, and I think that's. I like what Greg said a minute ago about how when when Ruriko dies and gets uploaded into the helmet, it's the first time there's any real stakes. Uh, and I think I think you're correct, and it kind of creates, at least for me, this sort of like high, low, high again journey where like I didn't mind that jumping into it, I had no idea what any of this was because even though you don't have the context, you're getting exposition very quickly, and everyone's wearing their whole deal on their sleeve. Like it's really odd. He's a spider guy fighting a grasshopper guy. Like what more do you need to know? Um, and then it kind of, and I was kind of charmed. I'm like, it's fun that it does. None of this really matters. And then an hour in, I'm like, none of this really matters actually. And I'm kind of a little bit bored. And then we hit that part where Ruriko dies. The stakes are legitimate and it's a pretty fun last act. So, yeah, it, it, it finds a way of, um, keeping you engaged even even if it's not necessarily on a story level like there's lots of um, like you mentioned <laughs> you mentioned earlier like lots of fun camera angles and cinematography um, and there's some there's some really interesting methods for filming the action that was really unique uh, and I guess uh, I believe that came from the original show there was like there's that scene where like um, Kamen Rider surrounded by a whole uh, bunch of enemies and it's sort of like doing this sort of jump cut thing where yeah, everyone looks like they're sort of like jump, yeah, they're so almost like stop motion animation with with live people straight and out that, of there. Yeah, yeah. That, so that came from the original show, but it was really interesting and engaging to watch because I was like, oh, what is going on here? This is really interesting. Yeah, it's it's tough though too with with not just um, movies that are references or or um, you know reference things that you may or may not be familiar with even just watching international films it's something that i i struggled with i watched a very challenging film recently called neptune frost uh it's an uh, african film i forget specifically what parks i didn't have it up in front of me for notes but it's also like this like beat poetry based afro future sci-fi musical in another language from africa and i was watching it and i couldn't parse whether big creative choices were one of three things. And I kind of ran into this with this movie too. Are these deliberate creative choices by the filmmaker that are just part of any filmmakers? Like I wanted to do it this way for these reasons. I'm a filmmaker. Were they not deliberate, like mistakes, oversights, things that weren't considered, or are they cultural norms that I'm just not familiar with. Yeah. And it wasn't a, a deliberate or not deliberate choice by the filmmaker. It's just something that they do in that part of the world. And I can, with the weirder the international movie, the harder it is to tell if it's which one of those three things it is. Um, and yeah, stuff like that jump cutty thing. It's like, was like, where did that come from? Is yeah. That- yeah. It, there's really kind of like, I, I, I think um, particularly with, um, with, 
cultures that are less similar to our own um watching their movies there, there's um, you need to watch a good a chunk of them to really get like comfortable with the cinematic language right and just like yeah and just like once you start getting more comfortable with that and as well as the um you know the cultural touchstones and things like that then um i think you can start appreciating what it's dishing out a whole lot more that certainly happened for me with anime like when i when i was younger and watched a lot of it so yeah, it seems like we were all fairly positive on on Common Rider, or at least appreciated the unique experience. But it is also not a film without its faults, and we did get a story, we did get narrative beats, we did get choices, uh, and we have some notes. So we will discuss those shortly. I'd like to get more reading done, and joining a book club seems like a good idea, but I don't know. Why not? Reading a whole book in a month, that's pretty daunting. What if it was just a chapter, say a week? That doesn't sound too bad. Still, getting together with a bunch of people, that's a whole evening. Well, what if it was only half an hour, whenever you wanted to? That would be great. The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears. Join my wife, Anita. And my husband, Scott. As we take you on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at at a time. time. Available right now on your podcatcher of choice. We're back. We're talking Shin Common Rider. Uh, what do you guys have for notes for this this uh, film? I believe that I should go first simply because my notes are are only about the first five minutes. <laughs> so, <laughs> sure. so, so if you'll indulge me again, um, we start with a low angle dolly in on a mostly empty road. Um, in the distance, there are two cars crashed together and on fire. As we get closer, we see like a man's body on the ground in front of the cars. And the camera slows down, moving up over top of the body. And then it, it, it's a man struggling to say something, but he can't get it out. And finally, he says, Takeshi, are they okay? Are they okay? Then the muffle, then the sound kind of muffles, and we get a transition to Takeshi in a medical enclosure, and we hear like these hisses and pops around him um, as the enclosure opens, and then the muffled sounds uh, fade, and we hear uh, Ruiko say, "Are you okay? Can you walk?" And Takeshi steps out of the enclosure, and then takes a couple steps and falls, mm-hmm. and in a long shot, we see Ruiko visibly annoyed, grabbing. Takeshi and dragging him across the floor and telling him, come on, we don't have much time. So he cut to another low angle shot of the road, but this time off in the distance, uh, we can just make out a red and white motorcycle. Um, and suddenly large armored vehicles appear from behind them or in the, uh, along the horizon line. We cut to uh, the bike and it's Ruriko speeding away with Takeshi passed out on her back. The armored vehicles open and all like the spider henchmen attack and they do all those cool things like they did in the in the movie proper where they're, you know, doing they're doing spider webs against bridges and things like that. And it's really neat. Rico distressed is like whipping and turning to avoid them and barely maintaining control of the bike. Uh, She screams like, wake up, you idiot. And uh, a few times before losing control of the bike and it starts careening off a cliff. Just as they're about to go off the edge, Takeshi wakes up and instinctively grabs Ruriko uh, and protecting uh, her as they fall. 
they smash into the ground, the bike falls beside them, and the common Rider helmet rolls right in front of Riko's eyes. She struggles to get up, hands the helmet to Takeshi with some urgency, and just says, put this on. The spider henchmen surround them and hold still while the spider rog makes his big entrance. He lets out like a laugh, you know, like because the the laughs are supposedly a big touchstone of of uh, of the villains in the in the common <laughs> rider, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and claims that there is no escape for traitors. Uh, the henchmen uh, move in on Riko, and uh, Takeshi tries to to help her, uh, but is easily repelled by the henchmen. And then she screams at him again, like, "Put on the helmet!" Takeshi looks at the helmet, puts it on. And seems to like immediately lose control of himself, and then he like brutally attacks and kills the henchman, and uh, like just henchman after henchman dying and <laughs> big blood fueled, just like they are in the in the movie. And then he also brutally beats the spyrog with his bare fist until he's just like a pile of mush. Mm-hmm. Uh, Takeshi stands up, and the helmet comes off, uh, and he looks like you know some kind of grasshopper alien. Uh, he looks down at his like insect's arms. And he's like, "What happened to me?" And then he passes out. Um, so importantly, like, there's no hero moment here. So we, we want to make sure that like we don't just blow our hero wad in the first five minutes. Sure, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because well, like, a lot of that's pretty true to what happens. I was trying to figure out what what the difference was, but yeah, it's that he doesn't get this like rah rah moment. Yeah, yeah I, but also like what like what I'm trying to do with the way that I've set things up here is to I, I'm trying to use like film language to set certain things up rather than <laughs> having the characters spell things out loud because <laughs> because if we if we get a scene of Ruiku in the Shocker's headquarters, then we instinctively know that you know she's some kind of she's some kind of rebel we we know that Takeshi is important for some reason um because she is trying to escape with him and she's dragging him out you know like just doing a lot of like shorthand just so like me as the as the audience viewer just has a quick understanding of like what's happening rather than just seeing two people on a bike who I've never met uh, and don't understand the context of anything. Plus, I just kind of think it's like, like it would just be, yeah. yeah. And I think it'd just be, I also wanted to set up um, Takeshi's dad very early on. So the stuff I mentioned off the top, like that there's like a car crash and then there's a guy, the camera pulls up to and he says, are they okay? Like that in my mind, like that's his dad and he doesn't necessarily need to be a cop in my mind. Like later on, um, it will be revealed that like he he kind of like used his car to stop another car from hitting someone mm-hmm. on the road. Like we get like we'll get like a pull out and see like the whole scene of the accident where where he basically saved someone's life and he was doing it all sort of selflessly. Um, so that way, I, I, the the reason I like doing that on the road is because I liked I liked having like Takeshi's big thing being on the road with his bike and and what happened to his dad being on the road as well so he can sort of like marry yeah, those two scenes together. together yeah um, and would this be instead of all those flashbacks yeah like i mean i'm sure there would you probably still have to like you'd have to have one more flashback to sort of like completely pull out 
what actually happened, but at least you get a yeah, sense. Yeah, the whole off deal the with top. the flashbacks is they pull out farther and farther. Yeah, as it goes, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah that'd like, be cool. Yeah. Like the first one is just him bloody. Are they okay? The second one, it's very clear there's been a car accident, mm-hmm. and then in the third one, you finally get like the shot of his dad steering into a car to save like a yeah. school bus or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like that. I like that a lot. I, I like, one of the things that I like about the movie is that it's, it's never stated, but it's strongly implied that shockers augments, uh, treatment actually creates sociopaths. Like, because shockers trying to create happiness in the fewest number of people, the people who get this augmentation, their happiness that like, it increases their violent tendencies. It reduces their, uh, um, inhibitions like it it their morals and ethics go out the window and regular people turn into monsters they turn into sociopaths and takeshi's real superpower is his heart like he's because he's been given the augment uh the same augment stuff but his inherent selfless nature gives him the power to pull back so that he doesn't go as far as all the other augments do. He doesn't become a sociopath. And I think that that's, that needs to remain the core of his character, no matter what version we're doing. Like that mm-hmm. his, his actual superpower is not his grasshopper powers. It's that he's got a kind heart. Yeah. Yeah. Which came from his dad. So I, I do yeah. really like that. I want to make this movie more focused. Um, <laughs> you need you need a lot less going on. And I think that there's a great plot arc to start with the Wasp. And I think that she's our first movie villain. And you tease more Shocker stuff. And you tease Ruriko's brother for a future film with Butterfly Og and, and Kamen Rider 2. You save those for like a tease at the end of this movie to go into the next one. But I think you have an entire movie with just wasp because she's got the built-in background with Ruriko. Um, you can give her spider Og and I think scorpion Og, uh, who's very underused in this movie. That was uh, very funny how they yes, fridge. But, yeah. but I think that, I think that you use scorpion Og specifically, you, you elevate her to make the bullet that kills wasp Og more impactful and more meaningful. Um, and you have those two running as her henchmen. And so like the first two acts of the movie are them shaking spider Og, who's after them right after the escape. And mm-hmm. then, uh, the big bad, the person who's like enslaving people sending scorpion Og, her heavy after them. And then they have to take down scorpion Og with the help of the government who they get recruited by at that point. And because they've shown that they can take out Spider-Og, these guys must be good. The government contacts them. Hey, we're trying to take out Shocker 2. And spoiler alert, Shocker's sending another person after you. They're sending Scorpion-Og after you. And she's bad news. And they take out Scorpion-Og. And then it's the reveal that Ruriko at that point figures out that the person who's been running Spider-Og and... Uh, Scorpion Og is the Wasp, is Wasp Og. And that leads into your third act big fight with Wasp, who's trying to create a hive out of everybody. Uh, because if in a perfectly ordered society with her at the top, everyone is content, there's happiness. And that's mm-hmm. what Shocker's all about. It reinforces and, the, the hive mind, reinforces the happiness theme, too. Yeah. Um, and I think and was, there's there's your plot. There's your movie. Uh, you've got your two, you've got your act one mini boss, your act two mini boss, your big boss. 
you've got a whole thing and then you tease that there's more shocker stuff coming down the pipe and it's mm-hmm. Ruriko's brother and it's and he's built his own grasshopper og so you've got common rider too and there's there's like everybody's hot for another movie now yeah and th- i think that's right and then i was gonna be like but this movie's at breakneck speed so many action scenes so much happens um but any of the parts that we cut out if we lose the bat if we lose the chameleon you can also replace with the fact that um Waspog has a brainless army. So you could also yeah. have Common Rider like not punching regular people who are just under her spell. Yeah, yeah and, I- and Spider Og still has his like spider cops and Scorpion Og still has her like femme fatales. Mm-hmm. And so there's there can be other action beats because in in an episode of Power Rangers you, you have the monster of the week, but the monster of the week has his putties and they have to go through the putties before they get to the monster of the week. And that's, I think that's your axe is like three episodes of this show. Right. I also like that you, you know, you, you make much more of a meal out of the fact that they use scorpion Ogs, scorpion venom to kill Wasbog. Yeah. Um, that's almost treated like a joke because they make a big to do about, um, Scorpion Og coming out and showing off, and then she just gets ganked yeah. by G-Man. Like, off, not even off sh- camera, yeah. Almost off, like, he's almost, almost off camera is more merciful. It's like, you get to see someone get killed off camera on camera, uh, <laughs> and it's like, they, and it's kind of played for a laugh, and then, yeah, if it was, if it was, like, literally playing the two against them, like, we can beat yeah. the one with the other, Yeah. Like, and that's this is one of the reasons why I'm not using Bat Og in my version, even though he's kind of the second boss in the uh, in the film as it is, is because <laughs> I like forgotten about. I like <laughs> yeah, I like tying in Scorpion uh, Scorpion Og. I like the ending with Wasp that Common Rider and Ruriko are because they're both good people are still trying to reach out to what's left of her humanity and they can't bring themselves to to kill her, and so the G Men swoop in and do it, and they do it using like a golden bullet, they have the golden gun because they used Scorpion Og's venom, which is the one thing that definitely can kill an Og. Another nice setup for another movie of like, okay, well, we thought we were in cahoots with these very compassionate G-men and actually they're questionable. Yeah. They're we have to get her brother, but can we trust the G-men? Yeah. Episode and that, two. Yeah. And there's, there's a little bit to mix into the second uh, movie too. Yeah. That's fair. I like it. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think you it would smooth out some of the pace and make it make less. There's a lot of stakeless action, and yeah. I think yours cuts that down a lot. I do. There's just part of me that does love like a Scott Pilgrim style, like slaughter of multiple people whose whole deal you can tell just by looking at them. But I, I realize that's more of my my like dirty little kink and not really a. a viable way to make a movie uh but just i love a massacre of people who you can tell what their deal is like venture i've been watching a lot of venture brothers and there's a lot of that in venture <laughs> brothers so that's that's fair um yeah i i think that's yours is definitely a smoother movie especially if it starts with what greg says and you just get more spider rog like he dies like a punk in the beginning like yeah he's, he's dead like 10 minutes in i literally i had texted <laughs> spider rog's kind of cool and he immediately died <laughs> after i texted that to these guys so um yeah okay one of my notes is is moot if we do it scott's way um but i just i i i, I had some feedback on bat og <laughs> i had a really hard time with bat og well, we can save bat og for a future movie so by all means pitch it okay great then in whatever movie bat og shows up in i don't know if you guys felt this he when they go to meet him he's in an outdoor lecture hall 
Mm-hmm. So he's a bat guy. He's like man bat from Batman. He's in an outdoor lecture hall on a sunny afternoon. And they fight this bat. And it. So much of this movie looks slick as hell. Like the costumes are all great. The production design, so much love went into it, updating it, but keeping it true. Nods to the original, something original. Um, but Bat Og looks kind of silly. The makeup looks great. His face looks great. Yeah. The him flying around with <laughs> wings for arms in a suit in broad daylight. <laughs> Giving his evil monologue while flapping around the screen like 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 a bat does, like frenetically and really bouncing from corner to corner while monologuing looked ridiculous. <laughs> and it made me think about um, Morbius. One of our critiques of Morbius was the ending fight with him. It was a black, muddy mess. It was just a bunch of C- gray-black CGI garbage, and you couldn't tell what was going on. Whereas this, it was very unflatteringly lit. <laughs> you could see clear as day, this guy looked ridiculous. So I'm like, there is a scale for bat guy fighting. Like, a sliding darkness, lightness scale. And the middle is is Matt Reeves' Batman. Yep. But, like, too dark, Morbius. Too light, Bat-Og. It's yep. <laughs> like... So if, if we saw Bat-Og, he should be in a dark place, not during the day. <laughs> Or at least, yeah, a darker place with more flattering light. Yeah, for sure. It was very jarring. It looked v- very bad. And it's not a cheap movie. Like, it's not No. It's not a cheaply made movie. All the effects are really well done. All the costumes, a lot went into them. But, like, they found the absolute upper limit of the Uncanny Valley. <laughs> like, of, like <laughs> you just can't make a guy, a guy in a white tuxedo, but bat arms flapping around dead center in the frame look good yeah um full stop so that's my note for bad og um i also kind of wanted uh especially because it's such a motorcycle based story i didn't appreciate that like i don't care that they go from place to place fighting a million guys but there was zero sense of geography which isn't even necessarily a bad thing but your guy rides a motorcycle. Like yeah. <laughs> the road is part of his deal. The road to get two bad guys should be relevant. And in fact, maybe even more of the fight should have been on roads. What better way to fight the minions on your way to go fight the mini boss yeah. than while motorcycling down the road with like spider ogs, uh, spider cops in their trucks going after him. Uh, exactly. You could have scorpion, scorpion ogs, uh, like femme fatales can all have like souped up scorpion cars. Yeah. Uh, and like, then you, you're kind of remixing in that, that like, that like chase scene action that's kind yeah. of missing from a movie of a guy who rides a motorcycle. Yeah, there's surprisingly not a lot of chases. Yeah. Missed opportunity that the two common riders don't have a chase scene together, you know? Yeah. 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 So, like uh, the, the most chase scene in this movie is in a dark tunnel when he's being chased by the locust swarm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Though I will say some of the most of the villain layers, I don't know if you noticed, they're all very open concept, like very wide. That is a an homage to the show thing. The show is basically shot in nondescript Japanese roads, giants barely decorated sound stages. Um I'm, so, and I'm fine so, with it. Like like uh they, they, they work that even nicely to Butterfly Og's lair. Yeah. Even Wasp's like, lair. Wasp's lair, yeah. Yeah. There. Yeah. Of any um, of the issues of 
uh, I ha- had with the movie, the production design was not one of them. That's fair. Ex- yeah. Um, but yeah, I wanted I wanted a sense of place and a feeling of being on the road on a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Some of that like, you know, transient hero vibe. Um, your littlest hobos, your, you know, yeah. Um, and then I just have more of a question for you guys. Maybe our listeners can answer in, in uh, the Discord or, or on, on X. What my note my note is this thread should go somewhere. <laughs> what was the deal with the robot in the burgundy suit or the purple suit? Uh you're talking about K? K, yeah. He seems to be talking to like a giant AI interface wall at one point. The head of Shocker, I think. Uh then at one point he's talking to Ruriko, which makes sense. She worked as Shocker. And he just kind of like shows up periodically throughout the movie. Well, his- and then we Never see the AI Wally was talking to early on or him in a meaningful way ever again to the point where I was concerned I had missed something. And before our recording needed you both to reassure me <laughs> I had not like misunderstood. So he's his role in the film is his because his whole deal is that he was designed to observe humanity so that the so that I, the big AI mm-hmm. interface, could better understand what would make humanity happy. And so he is, he's like the right hand man of I, but his whole deal is that he's just Uwatu the Watcher. Okay. Yeah. So he's just around keeping an eye on things. And that's why he's like, he's a non combatant. He's just there in the background showing that Shocker's constantly watching, which okay. I kind of like actually. I kind of enjoyed his deal because it, it added a little bit of mystique and mystery. And the fact that he was so cordial with Ruriko as well. Uh, for the record, though, earlier on, I think he was talking to Butterfly Og while Butterfly Og was still in his cocoon. That was unclear, but that's okay, what I think it that's, was. I guess then I would just love to see some of the point of that guy and the things he does and says cleared up. <laughs> Fair enough. Just a little, We, if, for all, all of the exposition dumping we save in Greg's version, I would like a little bit of the exposition, please, uh, for his whole steez. Um, we'll take take some of that. Yeah. So. I, I had a, I had a kind of a chuckle while I was watching that the the scene with I because reading subtitles and having a character named I was confusing at times. <laughs> also, I appreciated that the that the uh, the fully robotic characters are I, J, and K because mm-hmm. K is an upgrade from J, and J was designed as the world interface to watch things for I. I thought that was that was yeah. kind of a fun little thing. Indeed, there's there's fun little bits. There's fun little bits throughout. It is it is overall a fun movie. It is it For is sure. worth a, worth a watch. And and yeah, if you if you enjoy sort of brainless superhero action, it's it's worth it. Like I said, it um it really for better or for worse, there are huge chunks of it where it doesn't matter if you get it or not because everyone is broadcasting their whole deal on their sleeves. In a way that I, I really felt like I got to have the experience by watching this movie, I got to have the experience of someone who knows nothing about Marvel movies watching a Marvel movie for the first time. <laughs> like if you had no idea what any of this stuff, like you know Superman and that Batman, that's it. And you're like Marvel, never heard of him. Um, and then you watch, or and then specifically you. you watch Avengers, <laughs> yeah, Avengers, or even like I think Civil War, where you're like, okay, there's a cat guy, he's. But he's doing cat guy stuff, so I guess that checks out. There's a spider guy, does spider guy stuff, sure. Ant guy got bigger, feel like he should have got smaller, but I'll, I'll buy it. Okay, sure. <laughs> it's like, it looks cool. They're, I don't know why they're fighting each other, but it looks cool as hell. <laughs> that's what this feels like. This feels like watching 
a Marvel movie after a mind wipe. So, uh, so if that's your yeah, if that's your jam, get into it. Uh, it's on it's on Prime. Uh, and some of our listeners watched as well. Thank you to everyone who commented uh, on our various social medias. Again, our link tree on our website. I have some notes dot com. Uh, you can get in touch with us one way or another, especially the Discord. Come find us on the Discord. We're having a good time over there. Uh, listener Tack says, I have two fixes. Give me at least three minutes of pre-transformed protagonist so I can get my bearings. Just something, just something to lighten the backstory exposition. Something yeah, like. that's kind of what Greg's deal was, too. I, I like Greg's version where we don't really get to see him pre-transformation. We just kind of like cold open with him being transformed. But uh, I could I could buy seeing a dude on a motorcycle get into like a car crash and then like shadowy paramedics show up and then whisk him away to a secret facility. Like I could I could buy that, too. Also, I just found maybe should put this in my notes. This was had the same problem I had with Spider-Man three, like the, the Raimi one for a, a movie that's all about his powers come from the mask and the belt. This guy loves to take his mask off. Like his <laughs> name lot, is Masked yeah. Rider, and he he is not wearing his mask half the time um, because he's very handsome. Yeah. yeah so I, again, old, I think back to dread. <laughs> yeah, it's the old issue with uh, especially when your when your mask covers your mouth is that it's very difficult for the actor to emote, and if you have any sort of dramatic scene, uh, that's I mean that's essentially why almost every Spider-Man movie does that. I mean, they just end yeah. up removing the mask at some point just because well, they need to. We need to see the actor's face. Falling back into the tropes of the genre, though, that's the reason why all of the characters do such physical actions and are constantly like big nods and big shakes of their heads, moving their arms all over the place, striking poses. That's part of them using their whole physicality to emote because they're wearing like entire face concealing helmets. Um, and it's, it's corny and it's very campy, but that is the logic behind it is like, I mm-hmm. can't use my face. So yep. I'm going to use my whole body to express that I am in pain or that I am sad or that yeah. I am excited or that we need to go and fight that guy. Like that's, yeah. Yeah. that's why that's and they, there. And they, com- they committed to the conventions of that, you know, the, the, the limitations of, of seventies television, they committed to it in so many other ways. I don't know why they couldn't commit to the mask thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. Tack continues. Now, this is a bit extreme, but add an English dub. That's right. Come at me, otakus. Uh, Look, some foreign language films wouldn't work well with dubbing, but this movie benefits from more passive viewing and not staring at the bottom two inches of the screen. Sadly, I only watched 20 minutes. I like the cut of this movie's jib, but it just isn't my flavor of schlock. Give me Shin Batman 66 and I'll be there with a bowl of cereal. Give me Shin 1950 Space Adventure, Shin Detective Noir, Shin Universal Monster, Shin Godzilla... Oh, wait. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tack, push through those first 20 minutes. I promise you, you're in for a roller coaster ride. <laughs> um, I get where he's coming from. And like, yeah, because the movie's so action packed and so dense, uh, it's it would benefit from an easier viewing and not having to constantly be reading the subtitle. I kind of agree with that. There's there's a mechanical reason why that works for me. Um, even though I'm very much a person who's like, I like subtitles. I have no problem with that. I can, I can see the benefit of it here. I could see why that would be helpful to, uh, a casual viewer. 
It's funny he came to the same conclusion of Shin Batman 66, because watching this being like, oh, this is like a big love letter to some 70s TV show these nerds love. Uh, I was like, I want the next Batman movie to be an Adam West style Batman movie. Um, But also, I think I said this in our Birds of Prey episode, Birds of Prey is kind of that. If you want to see the closest thing we're going to get to a modern Batman 66, Birds of Prey. I disagree entirely. Batman and Robin. Sure, that too. Yeah, yeah I mean, Lego uh, Batman's the, even got it, but... Yeah, but, because, um, um, uh, say what you will about Joel Schumacher, and a lot of people have said many things about him, he was deliberately trying to ape the campy style of the 60s Batman movies. And the movies might not be great, but, like, visually and tonally, that is ex- that he was nailing that. Yeah. yeah. The other one it made me think of was, I kind of want a Bond movie that's set in the 60s. Like maybe even with a guy kind of doing like a light Connery could be fun. But then I realized they made that movie. It's called the man from uncle. So Uh, then I changed my mind. I want an eighties bond movie in 2023. uh, There's also OSS 117 Cairo nest of spies from 2006. It's a French film, but it is done exactly in the style of like the sixties bond movies down to the film grain. Uh, oh, but it, wow. but it is, it is a satire of those movies with a character Fair. who inhabits all of Bond's worst traits. Like he's a, he's a chauvinist. He's, oh, okay. yeah. he's, uh, he's. Yeah, I, I want an earnest. I want. It's, I want it's it. Not like, I don't want get smart. We've got get smart already. I want like, an earnest thing. And that is kind of like I said, what Man from Uncle is. So that's why. Yeah, yeah. I want an eighties Bond movie pastiche in twenty twenty three. Fair enough. That that kind of campy PG era of Bond. So, yeah, I, I, we, we, just quickly okay. on the on the Bond thing, I just wanted to to add that, like, for because that genre is um, so um, heavily parodied, parody, heavy, yeah, heavily parodied, and like, um, and and so many other directors have taken inspiration directors and writers taking inspiration from Bond that like I feel for anyone who is tasked with trying to write a new one because all of the avenues that you would sort of like try and detoot is like how do we refresh this character like a lot of it's already been done just by <laughs> just by virtue of all these different parodies and satires um, being already made yeah. Weirdly, one of the one of the Shin Kamen Rider uh, YouTube videos I watched, uh, director Ano had to ask himself the same thing about Shin Kamen Rider because right. it's also been made a million times. He's like, "How can I do something new?" And his approach was like to hyper focus on that th- first thirteen episodes mm-hmm. of what is a like thousand episode multi series Doctor Who esque sprawling mm-hmm. franchise up He's to like, and including uh, multiple Kamen Riders taking yeah. over the mantle. Yeah. Dorja Sprongfeld says, <laughs> what is it? Dorjuice? Dorjuice? Dorjuice Sprongfeld. I mean, obviously, maybe I, should, I was about to say, obviously, it's, this is a fake Twitter name, but Dave. maybe it's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe I shouldn't assume that. No, it's, it's, it. it's, it's, a, it's a fake name, sort of. Okay, good. Good. Then I don't care that I mispronounced it. 
Uh, <laughs> uh, I think I'm too old for this one. I was a tier two anime fan back in high school, Kevin Lowe reference, but was too old for Power Rangers craze that's fueling the whole tokusatsu nostalgia thing. It just came off as corny and low budget to me, resumes yelling at clouds. Definitely not low budget. Yes, corny. Yeah, I was, I, I'm kind of in the same, I think, age bracket uh, in that Power Rangers came in just a little too late for me to super get into it, but I was definitely familiar with it, familiar with it enough that I had things to say during our Power Rangers episode way back mm-hmm. when. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't a hyper fan of it, but I still like absorbed enough of it through other friends who were into it from the pop culture that I'm familiar with the tropes. And yeah. so I was able to just follow what was going on here, just based on the tropes alone. Uh, and you, you are, I'm, I'm going to mansplain this to you, Scott, sorry, but you are familiar that Power Rangers, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers as we know it, is like a hybrid of two shows, right? Like they, oh, yeah, they for filmed sure. new footage. Okay, not everybody knows that. Um, and I only bring this up because in my digging, I found a, a, a YouTube guy who went deep on Masked Rider, the 90s u.s attempt to do the same thing to all the old episodes of common rider that mm-hmm. they did to the old episodes of super sentai mm-hmm. or Sen- sentai yeah um which is like take these masked superhero fighting shows from japan that are 20 years old and intercut it with new footage of american kids in a high school and make a whole new show out of it they tried to do that with common rider and it's a nightmare <laughs> to the point where one of the reasons common rider never made it out of japan is um Toye Company was like, we're never letting Americans touch Kamen Rider ever again. <laughs> Kamen Rider is too sacred to let too the sacred. Americans get their sticky fingers And the one it. time they got it, they botched it hard. So there's not enough. Fo- their plan was a sitcom, family sitcom, like mom, dad, kids, and a wacky alien that was a little duck costume. Um, <laughs> you you I'll put can't this see in the, the di- face I'm making right now, but it's yeah. not a good one. <laughs> Played by Vern Troyer, uh, apparently, um, a pretty good animatronic, like furry duck alien, where then also every, you know, once per commercial break, common rider would show up and super kick the shit out of someone on a highway. And then they would go back to this family um, who have nothing to it, do with common rider. They're just no, like almost around. Nothing to do with rider. They're just yeah. around and common rider shows up and beats an alien. Well, they were, and they there. had to do way more with the stupid family thing because there's like a million episodes of super sentai, but there wasn't as much content available from common rider. And some of it was super violent. So then there's even less to do. So they padded out even more with the like fuzzy duck. I'll share the video. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's, it's great. <laughs> Going back to just one thing that uh, that Deja uh, mentioned, that I, I think it's interesting that like this is a high budget movie that's trying to look like a low budget movie. Yeah, I think precisely. that's I think that's kind of like the fun charm of it. Uh, so that was all of our comments for Shin Kamen Rider. Uh, I do recommend checking it out. Like I said, it's on Prime. Um, but we also, because we're trying new things with the new season, obviously not talking about struck work except for when I bring up the Ninja Turtles by accident. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're, we're also just looking for ways to engage with you about, uh, different aspects. And so we asked, uh, those of us on our social medias, uh, your favorite movie from, uh, the noble nation of Japan that you've seen recently. We got lots of response for that as well. And it's always just fun to talk about movies with, with, uh, Scott, with Greg, with you guys. So yeah. let's get into that too. 
Andrew Craig says, Gijora 1954 is the beginning of a new genre, the kaiju film. I love the original and so many of the films that came after. They often played on TV in afternoons and weekends when I was a kid, and I never missed a chance to watch. Yeah, the classics. Some of them are pretty silly, but you know what? It's it's all glorious. It's fantastic. All the kaiju films are, are great. Um, I, I don't know if they are anymore, but they're all they, at one point they were all on Crave, like all of them. So, uh, Deja Springfield, aka Dorju Sprungfeld, says, "I realized who that was when she said earlier." Oh my god, it's Deja. Okay. Uh, have you guys seen Bad City? I don't know that it's my favorite Japanese film, but the fight scenes are crazy, capital crazy. You know how in a lot of Hollywood action movies. Uh, a lot of fight scenes have zero tension. They never really feel dangerous, even though there are dudes flipping out with incredibly deadly superpowers or laser swords or whatever. They're so intensely choreographed that it feels like you're watching people dancing, not fighting for their lives. Well, Bad City's fight scenes feel largely unchoreographed brawls, like you're watching a couple of people legitimately fight for their <laughs> lives. Um, anyway, check out Shoplifters sometime. It's probably my favorite Japanese film of the past 20 years. Yeah, so I've heard about Shoplifters. I have not yet seen it but i've been told it's fantastic is it a recent film uh yeah it's um i want to say it's within the last five years i'm i'm talking out of my uh, 28 no 2018 i was you go, sure yeah. might have heard my mouse clicking and stuff yeah uh, 2018 speaking of like uh, fight scenes that feel like quite more like brawls or or more uh visceral you've been noticed that like if you're watching a film that's trying to take like the violence really seriously, there's a there's a, a big change in the in the sound effect of like how a punch mm-hmm. like might land. Like obviously, the, we, a lot of um, martial arts films have that kind of like high pitched like kind of thing, right? Um, but like if it's if it's a, if it's a serious drama, if you're watching something like History of Violence, it's just like it's just this really meaty, muted, just thud. And it just, it, yeah, <laughs> and it just, yeah, it just, it feels so much like, oh no, this is awful. Herman from Modern Manhood says, my favorite have been the horror action Tikashita Mike movies, Ichi the Killer, Audition, and 13 Assassins, honorable mentions to uh, Battle Royale. Of course, we can't forget amazing anime movies like Spirited Away and Akira. Yeah, yeah. Spirited Away and Akira, both basically anything by Hayao Miyazaki is pretty fantastic. He um, he so nails childlike wonder, like being a kid in a fantastical environment or in a fantastical place. Like those movies absolutely nail it, and I cannot recommend any of them, any of them enough, anything by... Uh, Hayao Miyazaki. So we're talking like My Neighbor Totoro, Mm -hmm. Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle. Just find one and watch it and just fall in love. It's fantastic. Robin Taylor says, I'm watching Gachaman because I loved G-Force as a kid. That would make a killer live action movie. Probably. Siri, Google Gachaman. Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Going back to Akira, like I, I, man. Speaking of uh, Americans getting their hands on things, how many, how many times have we heard that they're making an Akira movie in the United States, and just like, <laughs> and it never comes, <laughs> don't, it never comes Please to fruition. Don't. Yeah, yeah. That's what some, I would yeah. say. It's, Something. It, how you, <laughs> that's like, it's like remaking Citizen Kane. Why? Yeah, it's been done. 
and you're not going to do any better or any different. I mean, and even like the best case scenario, you get the Netflix Cowboy Bebop show. Like that's mm-hmm. the best case scenario. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I am a big fan. If we're going to talk about Japanese movies, I love a samurai tragedy. I love them to pieces. It is an entire genre of films that I just, I nom, 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 nom. I can't get enough of them. (laughs) Basically anything by Akira Kurosawa, not to sound pretentious, but he really was a fantastic director in a time when he was taking all of the Western genres tropes and just slapping them onto samurai movies. And they're all fantastic from, uh, from your seven samurai through your Yojimbo movies. Like it's all good. Um, he worked a lot with Toshiro Mifune, who is like an all time actor, like absolutely fantastic in everything he appears in. Um, so you can also just seek out Mifune movies. <laughs> They're fantastic. Um, yeah. And, uh, Herman mentioned 13 assassins and that's right in my sweet spot. That's another samurai tragedy. I absolutely love it. So, uh, those those are all definitely the kind of Japanese movies that I just can't get enough of. Greg, you wanna? Uh, my current favorite Japanese film is something I watched recently. Was uh, Drive My Car, which is um, just a uh, an excellent, excellent relationship drama that has um, this really interesting sort of uh, play within a play type thing going on for. It, and I couldn't recommend it enough. Um, in my teens, I was watching lots of lots of anime, um, and I was particularly engaged with the little comedy series, uh, like things like Ranma One Half and uh, El Hazar, Tenchi Moyu, uh, Oh My Goddess. Um, so those, Liter- those kinds of literally things. every anime series I was watching at that time. Right? <laughs> yeah. Probably watch. We were probably in the same dub rings. I bet. Uh, probably because you. That was <laughs> look. When Animathon started in Edmonton, for those of you who aren't familiar, Animathon is the big yearly anime festival in Edmonton. It's it's gotten quite big. It's it's a big to do now. But back in the day, it was literally just an opportunity for the nerds to get together and watch each other's tapes. Like yeah. that was literally what it was because you had to circulate the tapes. It was the only way to get your hands on some of this yeah. stuff. It was it was just a bunch of it's just a bunch of, bunch of um, pull out tables in in Grant McEwen. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. like in the in the hallway of a college, just yeah. people trying to sell their wares, and yeah, it was it was it was quite the dirty grungy affair back then. Uh, yeah, I guess I'll just leave off with uh, uh, Shin Godzilla rules. I it had does. a lot of fun with Shin Common Rider. I am going to go look up Shin Ultraman. As uh, Ultraman and Common Rider have always kind of been like different but associated, like very like Batman Superman or like Batman sixty six and the Green Hornet kind of vibes. Yeah. Um. But yeah, there was a tw- 2016 Shin Godzilla, 2019 Shin Ultraman, 2023 Shin Common Rider. I want to catch uh, Shin Ultraman. So it's not streaming in Canada. I'll figure out somewhere to watch it. But uh, I'm I'm gonna jump in on this new age of of Japanese cultural reboots. I'm I'm all in because uh, yeah. yeah, Shin Godzilla rules. It does. It's so. it's a very interesting and unique take on taking. Taking the Godzilla um, story and tropes and turning them into an entirely different kind of movie. And it's, it's, it's a great example of taking an existing property and doing something new with it. And I... Like, it's very different from a regular Godzilla movie. And the regular Godzilla movies are fantastic. But it's so good just by itself. 
until then, you can follow us uh, on facebook.com slash I have some notes at I have some notes on Twitter or Blue Sky at I have some notes pod on Instagram or find a link at I have some notes.com for a link tree. That's where you get the Discord. That's where you get everything else. Um, but whatever app you're on now, listening to this, why not subscribe, like, review, whatever that app wants you to do? Do it for us, please. Hey, yeah, uh, we're also all on Letterboxd. Um, I thought of that because we were talking about our favorite Japanese movies. I have a whole list of 100 samurai movies you could check out if you follow me on Letterboxd. And I know Greg and Liam are both there. You might consider doing that as well because we're all movie nerds. Um, You should also definitely head over to our Patreon uh, so that you can continue to give us a little bit of financial support because that helps keep the lights on around here. And we'd love to talk about movies with you uh more so please do that yeah and and keep an eye on all those socials for what's coming up next on i have some notes um, and for your opportunity to participate like uh all our awesome listeners did in this episode so we'll see you again in two weeks until then i'm liam kreswick i'm scott c bourgeois i'm greg beaver keep watching the skies (laughs) 